Thank you. Once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. We are studying angelology in our uh, theological seminar uh, for the last two broadcasts. Today we come to the final broadcast in this matter that deals with the uh, work of the angels uh, and the fall of angels, and we've discussed at some length the existence of angels. Now, angels are real beings in the Word of God. They may not be in the mythological teaching of the Illuminati or the Communist Party. Perhaps angels are not a factor to be considered in the National Education Association or the House of Representatives or the Senate. We must never let the superstitious myths of pagan speculation and depraved imagination interfere with a grasp of the truth. The word angel first occurs in Genesis 16, 7, where the angel of the Lord ministered to Hagar after Sarah had mistreated her. The angel was created by God, but the time of the creation is not revealed. We read in Colossians 1 and 16, For by him all things were created. Angels came to minister to Jesus at the great temptation, Matthew 4:11. And in Matthew 18:10, Jesus Christ speaks of angels of children appearing in heaven. Now, nowhere was it ever said that a guardian angel accompanied you on your work down here, although this is possible. The fact of the matter is, every angel in the Bible turns out to be an appearance. When we read about the angel of the Lord, we have the appearance of the Lord. Where we have an angel of the Lord, we have an appearance of the Lord. Sometimes the definite article indicates the specific appearance, sometimes an appearance. The word angel, contra contrary to the nonsense being taught at Christian schools, does not mean basically a messenger. As a matter of fact, many angels have nothing to do with messages. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them that are the heirs of salvation, not bring messages. An angel killed 185,000 soldiers in one night, second game, 1935, without delivering any message. One angel slew 70,000 Israelites following David's sin in Second Samuel 24 and delivered no message. The nonsensical teaching taught at Christian schools and institutes that an angel is primarily a messenger comes from a rather ridiculous interpretation of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which makes the angel the pastor of the local church. This is the kind of ball-up exegesis one can often get into when following the Schofield notes instead of following the Word of God. Every angel in the Bible is a 33-year-old male. There are no sexless angels in the Bible, contrary to the Schofield notes in either edition, and there are no angels with wings, contrary to the dime store pictures found in every dime store in the United States. If you will study angels, you'll find in Genesis 19 and 20, they are young men. In Luke 24 and Mark 16, they are young men. In Acts chapter 1, they are young men. In Revelation chapter 21, it's a man. If some have entertained angels unawares, Hebrews chapter 13, then don't you think for a minute that angels have wings, they don't. Every angel in the Bible is a 33-year-old male without wings. Now, we realize, of course, this uh, scriptural, scientific, infallible, absolute truth from the authoritative King James Bible runs contrary to every commentary and every book on angels, but that is par for the course. Well, the modern apostate fundamentalist has rejected the King James Bible, the final authority. He can't find the truth. Angels are 33-year-old males. As a matter of fact, this is so much true that Jesus Christ is called the angel of the Lord in Galatians chapter 4, and in Acts chapter 27, when Paul's on board the ship, 
He says, There stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. The Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament appears as the angel of the Lord, and of course this is a theophany, the appearance of God. Every angel in the Bible, of course, then is an appearance. And we find uh, Michael the archangel. We're not surprised to find that instead of being a messenger, he stands as the prince, the prince that standeth for the children of thy people. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 to 5. Then nations have appearances in heaven represented by angels. Children have appearances in heaven represented by angels. And local churches, Revelation chapter 2, verse 3, have appearances in heaven which are represented by angels. That is, for everything down here, there's a counterpart up there. Now, this advanced scientific knowledge from the absolute infallible authority of the infallible English corrects, of course, all Greek and Hebrew texts and all Greek and Hebrew professors in the apostate fundamental schools today who have rejected the Word of God for superstitious nonsense. Angels are 33-year-old males where they appear, and when Satan appeared to Eve, he appeared as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 to 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 to 15. Angels are able to travel great distances very quickly. Daniel 10, verse 12 to 13. They're wiser than men. 2 Samuel 14, 20. They're strong. Psalm 103, verse 20. One angel one day will bind the devil and imprison him for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20. Stars are called angels, or vice versa. Angels are called stars in the book of Revelation. Notice in particular Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. The angels are immortal. Luke chapter 20, verse 35 and 36. Without material bodies, knowing nothing of decay or death, and the only ones that died like men, Psalm 82, were the ones that left their first estate the book of Jude. Therefore, we see the Schofield notes are entirely wrong on at least 16 counts in regard to these matters. Angels are not sexless, and they're not unmarriageable, and the misquote of Matthew 22, verse 30, and all the fundamentalist notes is a perversion of the Word of God, for the angels in Matthew 22, 30 did not leave their first estate. They were said to be the angels in heaven. And by many of these two words, they erected the ridiculous doctrine that angels are sexless and marriage is unknown among angels, which, of course, is nonsense. It's certainly not unknown among fallen angels. Second Peter chapter 2, Jude, Genesis 6, Psalm 82, Job 1, Job 38, and any other place where the infallible King James English corrects the bungling work of Hebrew and Greek scholarship. Angels seem to be innumerable according to Revelation 5.11. In Matthew 26, 53, Jesus spoke of being able to call for 12 legions of angels, which would number from 3,000 to 6,000 apiece. In 2 Kings 6, 17, the servant of Elisha saw the mountains full of chariots of fire round about Elisha, and these doubtless were appearances. And of course here they were appearance of troops. The word angel can always match the word appearance, although it cannot always match the word messenger. The proof of this is opening your Bible and studying Angels described by our Lord as being pure, Mark chapter 8:38, but the pure and holy angels in Mark 8:38 are the spirits of just men made perfect. After all, a third of the angels have yet to fall. Revelation chapter 12. When John Milton put Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 to 10 in the past tense, he did a service for the devil. 
And erase the references of the humanoid third-class encounter Telstar Tar War Star Trek, which is yet future, where 33-year-old males will come to this earth to save this earth from self-destruction, and they will be the devil and his angels. Revelation 12, verse 1 to 10. Who have not fallen yet in the sense so described in Revelation 12. Angel were created originally holy, Luke chapter 9, verse 26, 2 Peter 2, 4. We read about elect angels in 1 Timothy 5, 21, and more angels falling at a later time. 2 Peter 2, 4 speaks of angels that fell in the past and that sinned. And these, of course, were the ones that showed up in Genesis 6 and did cohabitate with women on this earth. Genesis 6, verse 1 to 4. There was also cohabitation, evidently, with animals which is why bestiality is warned against in Leviticus chapter 20. And here the scientific absolute infallible authority of Elizabeth in English corrects every apostate fundamentalist in every Christian school in America, for it shows the apostate fundamentalists where the UFO occupants come from. They are not humanoids. They are degenerate forms. They are mongrel forms of mutations. And this explains why God drowned the animals in the flood and why Solomon was told not to get horses out of Egypt and why David ham-hopped or hamstringed the horses he captured from the Syrians. One must never forget the authorized version is a great advanced revelation on anything written by Pember Schofield, Larkin, Darby, or especially by Robertson, Weiss, Odiades, or any other series of apostate fundamentalists training Christian students these days in the apostate fundamentalist schools. The King James Bible, of course, is always more authoritative than any school or any church, and certainly is at least 150,000 times more authoritative than any Greek or Hebrew scholar, living or dead. As a result of the fall, the angels are waiting judgment, according to Jude chapter 6. On the base of Matthew 25, 41, we read that hellfire was prepared for the devil and his angels. And his angels are mentioned in Revelation chapter 12 as falling at a future date and coming down to this earth and outer space at a future date and right now, the scientific world, the educational world, and the news media is preparing you to receive them. The angel which left their first estate, of course, cohabitated with women and probably with animals. And these uh, fallen angels are kept in chains of darkness, reserved under the judgment of the great day, Jude chapter 6, which is why Paul said to the Christians in Corinth, What? Know ye not that ye shall judge Angels, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Now, if these facts startle you, one must remember they are startling because they come from the English text of 1611. And while the Hebrew and Greek scholar has wasted his time showing his knowledge off and trying to convince you he's smart by correcting the text, he has lost key after key after key after key to Revelation until all the revelation he has is the revelation of the old school free reference Bible in 1909, when he rejected the text and sat in judgment on the text, he finished his own ability to interpret. And when he sat in judgment against the text of the Holy Bible to show up his own education and demonstrate his fanatical egotism, the Lord took the key from Revelation away from him and wouldn't show him anything else. As a consequence, if you picked up the average radio station today, Take the first 500, hit or miss, all the material preached on 500 radio stations would be outdated by 70 years.
where it dealt with these matters. Now, I grant you that the old truths of salvation never change. I grant you the old truths of blood atonement and resurrection never change. I grant you that the truth never changes. But if you think for a minute that the fundamentalists of 1909 who rejected the King James text and sat in judgment against it had a market on the truth and had cornered the market, you're not playing the game with a full deck. I'll guarantee you that Calvin and Luther didn't discover all the truth there was in the Bible, any Bible. And I'll guarantee the Lord has a lot more truth to show from his precious word than I have found out. I begin where Bullinger quits. Bullinger began where Stan quit, and Stan began where Larkin quit, and Larkin began where Schofield quit, and the average Christian college is teaching the material from 1909. You say, how'd they do it? They wanted to establish themselves the final authority instead of the Word of God. They considered their ministry more important than the living Word that gave them the ministry. And that's how the snow blows, baby. That's what's going on all over this country. The preachers and teachers are considering their work to be the first thing and the Word of God to be the second thing. Why, it's the Word of God that saved them. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. It's the Word of God that gave them the ministry. Now, we call this twisted false emphasis apostate fundamentalism, which simply means the greatest apostasy today is in the body of Christ. The liberals and modernists in the various councils apostatized back in the 1920s and 1930s. It wasn't until the 50s and 60s the fundamentalists began to fall into apostasy. They did it by the simple device of sacrilegious idolatry. They put their churches and their schools ahead of the Bible. And then they called anybody that put the Bible first a bibliolater. You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? You see how it's a done? It's a done a lack of that. What you do is set up your ministry as a God and say if you're for the school or church, you're of God. If you're against the school or church, you're not of God. And then when you put the Bible first, they say, uh-huh, you're an idolater, you worship the Bible. All sacrilegious apostate fundamentalists operate in that fashion. When they write out letters, they say Ruckman is an enemy of and the name an institution. They never discuss the truth. And these people who put their institutions ahead of the Word of God are enemies of the truth and they're idolaters. And that's why they accuse a man who believes the Bible of being an idolater. They're looking in a mirror. Now about the work of angels. In heaven their work is to worship and serve the Lord. Revelation 5.11, Revelation 8.3. On earth they run errands for the Lord. They showed Hagar a fountain in Genesis. They appeared before Joshua with a sword in Joshua. They released the chain from Peter, opening his prison door in Acts 12. And they feed, strengthen, and defend God's children, according to uh, the record. An angel cooked a breakfast one time for Elijah and took care of Paul in the boat and strengthened Paul when he was in prison. The work also includes exercising God's judgments and purposes. As an example, where the angel of the Lord blocked Balaam's pathway in Numbers 22, where an angel of the Lord killed Herod in Acts 12:23, And they're in charge of gathering the unsaved people at the Battle of Armageddon 
to burn them in the lake of fire, Matthew 13, verse 41. They also guide believers, for we read that an angel guided Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, verse 26. They assist, protect, and strengthen the saints, according to Daniel 6.22 and Luke 4.11. They will accompany our Lord when He returns, Matthew 25.31. They take the Lord's children to heaven at death, according to Luke 16.22. And they had a part in getting the law, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, because when we remember that an angel is in appearance, we remember the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in Sinai on the bush, and the angel of the Lord said, I am that I am. Therefore, an angel is an appearance. Every place you find it in either testament, and never to be mistaken for such a trivial thing as a messenger. This comes from taking the word for angel in the Old Testament, and taking that word and getting the uh, the uh, meaning from it that's attached to other messengers in other places, where the word is the same. One must remember that the English interpretation with English comparing Scripture with Scripture will yield the right interpretation where running Hebrew and Greek roots will run you into a sewage dump. After all, Greek and Hebrew studies are vertical studies which take you down to the bottom. They're of the earth, earthy. The Bible is a circular, a circle. It's an infinite book, and by comparing Scripture with Scripture, you run out into infinity. And this, of course, separates the serious Bible student who believes the Bible from the uh, commercialized professional huckster who talks about being a serious conscientious student of the Bible because he jams his shelf full of new translations that would make Satan blush for shame when it came to lying. When you pick up the trash published by many book companies today, you'll find this constant reference to serious students of the Bible do such and such, conscientious students of the Bible do such and such, and these so-called conscientious or serious students of the Bible are simply people that sit in judgment on the text and go blind as a bat and can't find anything except what they're told. Now, by believing the text, we find light upon the text and upon the nature of theological subjects in the authorized version, which are unavailable to any Hebrew or Greek scholar in America living or dead, and we say that as a challenge without fear of getting our hand called, because it has never been called and never will be called. The only calling anybody does in our hand is we occasionally get a fanatical letter from some Christian lunatic fringe who thinks because we give a verse of Scripture that contradicts his tradition that we should be put off the air. We get those. We get letters from these lunatic fringe Christian to think that their particular belief is the only belief that has a right to be propagated, and that if anybody propagates any teaching that runs contrary to what they've been taught, that person should be muzzled and censored and thrown off the air just like they would be in any fascist or communist country. These lunatic fringe Christians are quite common in America, and you can always spot them because as soon as you give any verse of Scripture that contradicts the lies they've been teaching, they like to have a fit. And they go to that typewriter and start trying to get the radio station off the air or threaten it with the FCC. These are what we call fascist Christians, and they represent the fascist brand of Christianity. I don't know whether you know it or not, but all fascist dictators in the Western world all belong to the same church. Now, there's a nugget. I'll bet you couldn't find that in Time magazine. I'll bet you didn't find that one when Notre Dame got voted number one in the nation back there in 1977. <laughs> 
You're sure going to miss a lot watching TV, aren't you, son? The fascist form of Christianity will not tolerate any Bible being preached that contradicts the tradition. This means that before communists take over the country, radio preachers will be allowed to say that God is good, that's positive, but they won't be allowed to say the devil is bad, that's negative, because the people trying to shut up the truth will not tolerate the truth being told about things that are wrong. The so-called uh, equal rights or fair rights uh, practice that was put through by the communists in Congress several years back was for that purpose. And the purpose of that equal time thing was simply this. It fixed the thing so if a man wanted to preach the truth about anything, he had to pay for his time. But if anybody wanted to raise Cain about it, what he said, they could threaten to put the radio station off the air if they didn't get rid of the truth or take equal time to answer. Of course, there was one big catch with equal time practice, and that is the Bible-believing people were never given equal time to answer anything where the Bible was attacked. Did you notice that? Why, well, at Christmas time, the pagan uh, superstitious people in medieval Europe parade their sacramental paraphernalia before the TV cameras two and three and four hours at a time and give the whole world the impression that Christianity is baby dolls, gold and silver, and strutting around with a pious look on your face plastered like a stewed owl. When they get through with that two-hour extravaganza, you know how much equal time is given to a Bible believer to present the Bible picture of Christmas? Not one minute. When a newscast is through at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the hour, every hour from every newscast in this country, where you're told about the problem in North Island, there isn't one Bible-believing Protestant in the world that can stand up and tell you that North Island is not North Island. North Island is called Ulster. Now, there are a bunch of people who think that Ulster should be called North Island, but those aren't the people that live there at least not the majority. So when you find these fascist Christians popping up, their characteristic is equal time to contradict the truth, but no equal time to present the truth, if the truth is negative. So the fascist form of Christianity is out to shut up every voice on radio and television that presents any Bible that runs contrary to the lies being taught for that particular group. Now about the abode of angels. Their present abode is in heaven, and yet a third of them will fall in the future. Revelation chapter 12. Angels and our first parents were both created perfect. Angels are spirit beings and Adam and Eve as fleshy human beings. However, in other ways, in some ways, man is superior to angels, in that angels are not allowed to preach the gospel. Galatians chapter 1. Men will one day judge angels. 1 Corinthians 6.3. And, of course, it will be the fallen angels referred to in Jude 6 and 2 Peter 2. This great honor is indeed a glorious yet humbling thought for a saved man. And though we fell into sin, God will yet in the future raise us up higher than angels in Jesus Christ. What is man with art mindful of him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And as some would have said, you made him lower than the angels, and he's been getting lower ever since. Or as another wry wit said, God made man lower than the angels, which puts the angels in pretty bad shape. When the angels sinned, the Lord did not provide a Savior for them, 
because the truth of the matter is, when they were first created, they were spirits, ministering spirits, and they had no blood. The angel that left their first estate and gained blood by various and devious means, which we cannot discuss in today's broadcast, and it would shock some of you silly little Greek and Hebrew professors of bad, they'd lose ten nights sleep if we did discuss it. <laughs> you begin to talk about receiving eternal life orally, Genesis 2, and not the good and evil orally, Genesis 2, and again they're receiving blood for a circulatory system orally, Genesis 2, you give some of these teachers in these Christian schools a heart attack. They thought they were gods and able to correct the text, and suddenly the text pops up and reveals things they missed and shows them truths they couldn't find. Their only response can be to pretend that it isn't so and shut it down and call it a heresy. That went on all through the Dark Ages. The modern apostate fundamentalist, therefore, holds the position held by the religious plenipotentiary in the Dark Ages. His problem is how to shut up and deny the truth and get rid of an authoritative Bible when it speaks contrary to his teaching, and call everything contrary to his own teaching a heresy, thus maintaining his teacher and his teaching and his teaching position and his school in the authoritative position instead of the Word of God. Now, the truth of the matter is the fallen angels did obtain blood by some means, or they could not procreate and reproduce, which they did. And though they were gods, Psalm 82, they died like men, Psalm 82, and they were called gods, John 2, and they died like men, Psalm 82, therefore they had no blood like the gods, Psalm 82, but got blood like men, Psalm 82. One must remember the highly accurate and scientific, absolute, infallible authority of the King James Bible is far in advance above any Greek or Hebrew lexicon written by Decinius, Delich, Weist, Mulligan, Milton, Souter, There, Bayer, or any 3,500 Hebrew or Greek scholars, living or dead. When in doubt, throw scholarship out. Matthew 18.10 infers that there are angels that represent children. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 show angels represent churches. Daniel chapter 10 and 11 shows there are angels that represent nations upon this earth. Continuing our study now about uh, angelology, we run into the one who appears as an angel of light, although he's not an angel. And let us bring this to the great subject of uh, demonology. So in our next broadcast, we'll take up the study of demonology, beginning first of all with the work of Satan, his origin, his personality, his character, and his titles. Then on the broadcast to follow, we'll take up a study of demonology on the order of demons or devils and show you why the King James Bible is correct on calling them devils and not demons and why every Bible printed since 1800 defends Satan and the devil by calling them demons, which, of course, is nothing but a transliteration of a word they were afraid to translate. When in doubt, throw scholarship out. Our next broadcast will deal with demonology and specifically in demonology, the works of Satan, his origin, personality, character, and titles. Away. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All our rights are as filthy rags. I don't care whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a banker, a hippie, a junkie, a ditch digger, a prostitute, a hustler, a swingler, a fornicator, a bartender, a dance band drummer, a teacher, or a, a construction man, or electrician, 
or a ditch digger, there is no difference. And as far as sin is concerned, the difference between Jack Kennedy and Charles Manson is they're named or spelled differently. As far as sin is concerned, the difference between Abraham Lincoln and Carell is they lived in two different states. Otherwise, they're sinners from Adam in the Adamic image, lost, alone in the world, without hope and without God, and you must be born again. Our next broadcast will take up the great study of homotiology, the study of sin, in our theological seminar.